Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two fabulous sponsors this week. Environments for Humans, our longtime sponsor, promoting their responsive web design summit. That's an online conference. You can get to it at rwdsummit.com. That's coming up April 1st through 3rd. And welcoming Adobe. How cool is that? I feel like we hit the big leagues or something. Adobe. <laughs> they have a bunch of cool tools, and they're really dedicated to working with web stuff lately. You've probably noticed from some of the like ways that they're contributing to the spec and new technology and stuff, but they have this whole suite of, program, uh, of, of, of products called Edge. And so we'll tell you more about both of those things a little bit later in the show. But thanks. Well, let's kick things off. Da-da-da-da. Trying out something new for all the shopomaniacs out there. How are you feeling today, Dave? I feel pretty good. I'm good. I'm on. I'm gulping now. Is that what we call it? I'm on the gulp train. I'm gulping. Sorry, did you seriously? Are you? Did oh you, yeah. I've gulped some stuff. I'm gulping right now. I thought now. it was pretty easy just to to rock to do a new project. I put the code pen and blog and gulp just for poops and giggles. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty nice. I grok I grok mm-hmm. the syntax. I gulp it down. Anyway, I'm Dave Rupert. <laughs> With me is Chris Goyer. Hi. And Chris, who do we have today? We have Nick Pettit. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yay. Nick is pretty, pretty famous. He's Nick RP on Twitter. Does that mean you're into role playing? No, it means my middle name is uh, Richard. Richard. Yeah. Is it Richard? It, it is Richard. Or so Rich. you are Nick Dick Pettit. That is correct. Borderline not safe for work. <laughs> Sorry, man. Okay. Uh, Treehouse is where you are from. So that's the that's the most relevant bit here. Because we end up talking about Treehouse all the time. People sending questions and they're like, what do you think? Is it worth it? Um, I'm 40 years old. Should I get into learning? Is Treehouse right for me? That kind of thing. You are from Treehouse, right? Yes to all. Yeah, yes to all. <laughs> so what is it if nobody's ever heard of it? That's where you work. That's what you do. Tell us right. what it is and what you do there, I guess. So uh, our mission is to bring affordable technology t- education uh, to everybody and to help them achieve their dreams and change the world. And we really yeah. we really do mean that, change the world. It sounds pretty ambitious. Um, but we uh, we think education is pretty broken. And we want to try to bring affordable technology education, not you know super expensive college education, uh, to people all over all over the world. Um, so, what I do there is I teach web design. So I you can sign up. There's a, a monthly subscription fee, and once you sign up, you can watch videos of me and all of our other teachers tell you how to make websites and iPhone apps and start businesses and all sorts of cool stuff like that. We're also a pretty crazy company. Um, we're 
kind of non-conventional uh, behind the scenes. We work a four-day work week, uh, which is kind of weird if you've never heard of that before. People ask me a lot about that. They say, you know, do you uh, do you work longer hours or, you know, do you get paid less or do you work Saturdays? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, we just, we don't know who decided on a five-day work week, but it wasn't us. And so we work four days and people still don't quite understand even after that explanation, but I'm like, no, nope, we just, <laughs> we just work four days. That's it. That's, that's. What about the fact that like, do you personally, Nick work ever like a do, secret working? I know me. I don't, I mean, I work zero day weeks kind of cause I don't go anywhere or whatever, but I find that seven days a week I'm doing something on the computer. Is that true for you or? It is. Uh, I mean, I do a lot of different stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always on a computer in some capacity, or another. Um, and, you know, I do like to interact with our students even on the weekends. So, you know, I like to go into our forum and I like to, you know, respond on Twitter and stuff like that. And just, you just feel no particular obligation to do that or like no. it doesn't really feel like work or <laughs> no, it doesn't feel like work at all. I mean, it's, it's really truly is a job that I just absolutely love. Um, it's an amazing place to work. I love the people I work with and I really love our students. I mean, it's so cool to kind of watch them learn and like finally understand something and then they go off and create things and you get to see that. Nice. It's really uh, pretty rewarding. That always sounded like one of the most rewarding parts of being a teacher is feeling, seeing kids get their little aha moments and all that. Type of stuff. I suppose you get, you get that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every day. I mean, we have, um, so when you unlock badges on Treehouse, so like as you take our, our courses, you can unlock badges to kind of prove that you have grokked that knowledge, as Dave likes to say. And uh, once you've unlocked those badges, um, you can start to kind of participate in the community more. And I get to see uh, people posting on the forums. Like we have these forum contests and people like to, uh, you know, post stuff that they've created and it's it's just amazing to see. Uh, we actually have been using CodePen for all that, by the way, um, which has been pretty convenient because I can just click on a bunch of uh, CodePen links and look at people's designs and look at their code. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. That's what it's for. Heck yeah. But <laughs> maybe you won't be using that for too much longer because you showed us, or like as we were kind of talking about doing the show, there's kind of a new feature rolling out on Treehouse that's pretty interesting. That's not, it's not 100% like, like Code Pen, but it is kind of a, a coding environment, an IDE in the browser. Is that live yet or are you talking about that? It is. So we, we are starting to talk about that. Um, we just rolled out this new tool that we call Workspaces to all of our students. And basically, yeah, it's a, it's a text editor or IDE in the browser. So if you're a Treehouse member, you can log in. And on the left-hand side, we have our navigation, and you can click on Workspaces. And you can just arbitrarily open up this web-based text editor and start coding. Right now, you can code HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and you can kind of, you know, create your project structure, your directory structure. You can also upload your own assets. So if you already have 
maybe a website that you're working on, you can just drag the whole folder onto Workspaces and it will upload everything. You can also upload images that way. It's, it's pretty cool. But then you can click on a preview URL and see exactly what, uh, you know, what people will see when they look at your website. Uh, so it's pretty cool. You know, you can save all of this stuff on Treehouse. So the nice thing is, as you're learning on Treehouse, you can use workspaces to follow along and save your work. So like if you're using Treehouse, say, in a classroom environment, or maybe you're doing it on your lunch break at work, when you go home that night, you can just pop right back in, you can open up workspaces, and all your work is saved. So it kind of solves the whole to computer problem with learning. And that, that's something that always kind of bothered me, like when I was learning in, in school, is I would, I was like programming basic on um, a computer. I'm actually not that old, but I was learning basic in school. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just remember like I would program basic uh, at the computer at school, and then I'd get home and I just had like no clue how to get that onto my computer. Like I had no clue how to run that same environment. Um, so it only worked in one place, but this is different. I mean, you know, of course the web works everywhere, but this also allows you to take your work with you. It's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. it's called workspaces. I know exactly what you're talking about. There is that moment where you're like, I'm taking a class. I'm sure people are, some people are having that problem right now somewhere, maybe less with the web. Cause it's just kind of like text files or whatever. But if you're taking mm -hmm. a class on Java or whatever, you're like, you, you go to school and you sit at their computer and it, the, like the, the dev environment is all ready to rock and roll. So you can do it and learn and stuff. But any, the second you step away from that, you're like, okay, well, what can I do with that knowledge now? You know, right. that feels like a black box. And so I can see that solving that. Well, and teach. It, it solves yeah. another, uh, a number of other problems as well. I mean, basically what I started to discover as the years went on with Treehouse is I would get more and more emails from students and see more form posts and support tickets where students actually didn't know how to use file systems. Hmm. And I thought this was crazy. You know, I, I always equated like manipulating files and folders with like using a mouse and keyboard. I was just almost like, you know, how are you even emailing me right now if you don't know how to do this? Um, but uh, it basically, you know, just... Uh, yeah, I get it. It's a place to teach that kind of like, here's a folder. You can put things inside of it. And that's going to, that right. sounds like crazy trivial to us. But like, as you know, as people that are growing up in more of a, a touch world. The and iPad they, generation. Yeah. Like well, they just don't exactly. get the concept of a folder really. And that's the concept of a folder is probably not going away for a very long time if ever, in the world of web development. Right. I mean, they're, they're just using like an iPhone or, you know, uh, Facebook or Pandora or Netflix or all these other mm. web apps and phone apps where the file system is completely abstracted away from you. So, you know, it just created this kind of crazy problem we never thought we'd really have uh, where we had to figure out how we were going to teach people files and folders. So that's one thing that Workspaces kind of takes care of for you. You know, the file system is all there. You don't have to kind of go back and forth between a text editor and the finder and your browser and all the stuff. It's just kind of all one environment. So that's nice. Um, but the other problem was that people were focusing very heavily on the text editor itself. And that was kind of annoying, especially to uh, beginners and 
me as a teacher because I just was like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like you can use whatever tool you like the best and it's going to work fine for you as long as you're efficient at using it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, um, we decided, you know, we just wanted to make workspaces as a way to have a, uh, a choice for students that was kind of opinionated just say, you know, we're going to use this. You can use whatever you want, but here's the one that we use because usually that's what they want anyway. Like when students ask me which text editor they should use, I always feel like it's kind of like asking a waiter in a restaurant what wine you should pick because they say, well, do you want red or white? And well, I recommend this one, this one, and this one, and there's this other nice one. And you usually just end up saying, well, which one would you pick? I just want you to make the choice for me. You know, and, and that's always what ends up happening with text editors. They just say, well, which one do you use? So workspaces is kind of, uh, it is nice because it directs attention away from that problem and, uh, just allows people to focus on the code, which is what's really important there. Creating stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I poked around a little bit. It's pretty cool. It looks like it does server side rendering. So when you preview it kind of, it has moved that to some place that would, which you render it from, which I generally think is a good idea for things like kind of working as you expected to. Uh, it's built on code mirror. It looks like underneath. So high five about that. I, I kind of, I kind of like keep score on what, co- what underlying code editor people use for this type of thing, just because I really think code mirror is awesome and kind of wanted to win the, win the race a little bit. So, um, actually, let's see, I'm not too familiar with, uh, code mirror. Um, is that kind of like brackets? I, we might be using code mirror. I'm not sure, but actually, um, well, you are. Okay. Trust well, me. we, um, <laughs> cause I know we're using Adobe brackets. I didn't actually build workspaces. I used workspaces Maybe brackets uses code mirror. It probably does. You know, it, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, we're, I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing piece of technology. We've been working on it for quite a long time. It, it is. And I realize, so CodeMirror solves a lot of the, like, the sucky hard problems that you don't want to have to solve again, like the syntax highlighting piece and, like, replicating how, like, you know, hitting the tab key. And you have to fake a cursor because there is no such thing as, like, a code editor in the right. browser. You know, like, every piece of this is faked, kind of, mm-hmm. selecting text and pasting and all that stuff. And it's nice that you don't have, like, a code pen as well we didn't have to write all that stuff from scratch we can solve the problems that we're more interested in solving on top of it uh so that's what we did and that's what you guys are doing what the work you've done is crazy i mean the to make a full ide in the browser is is just incredibly complicated it looks really good so i get it just you know just in case people are interested in that kind of thing if you need just like that editor piece the thing that like fakes what working you know in a in an editor like you know text or sublime text is like in the browser that that kind of base level thing and which is highly extensible that is based on code mirror and the kind of big competition for it is ace mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting i was just looking at khan academy and theirs is based on ace and i'm just like oh who's gonna win <laughs> Anyway, mine's I'm building one and it's based on FKC editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the really? way down. Yep. From the 80s. Yep. <laughs> that baby that is, is wonderful school. Uh cool. And so Nick, you're in Florida, right? I am. Yep. Sunny Florida. Well, not right now. It's raining outside, but yep. I 
I grew up in Lic- Florida. Liquid sunshine. I heard an old person say the other day. I was like, I like that. I'm going to use it. What's that? Uh, What's that's liquid, liquid sunshine. Uh. I've not heard that. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Florida. I, um, I grew up in Clearwater, which is in the Tampa Bay area. And I came over to Orlando to go to school. So I went to the University of Central Florida and got a digital media degree, which is um, kind of useless. I I learned some interesting stuff there, but most of what I learned was just kind of learned on my own. Um, I think it basically just allowed me four years to become a more mature person. Um, And then I stayed in Orlando and um, worked a couple different jobs, got a software engineering job as uh, a PHP developer, designer, CSS guy, and uh, did a lot of that. And at that job, I worked with uh, my buddy Jim, and uh, we then went on to Treehouse. At least that's the TLDR version. But um, yeah, I'm in Florida, and um, that's kind of why I'm here. I just grew up here and started working here, and now I'm here. (laughs) some roots anyway yeah all right that's cool so we have some game development stuff we're going to talk about maybe we'll uh maybe we'll move into the, some questions and see if it comes up and if not we'll we'll smoosh it in later mm-hmm. what do you got yeah well, i think we should just kick things off and... uh-oh jonathan bennett writes into the shop talk show to correct us for some false information uh-oh I just wanted to give you a small correction regarding Drupal and 1000 script style files. This is true out of the box, but there is an option in the performance section, which will concat and minify all of those. There are some options for devs to hook into per page versus whole site. So it isn't always one CSS and one JS, but it's much better screenshot or it didn't happen. And he included a screenshot too. Uh, Drupal. I don't even remember the exact actually minifying files. I think we just maybe uh, said Drupal is historically really inefficient. Like, how do you tell if it's a Drupal site? You view source, and there's 800 script tags. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, Jonathan, is writing in to say that we are liars and scumbags, <laughs> and it actually. I'm sure there's a way that you could still screw it up in Drupal anyway. It's just a framework. You know, you can do whatever you want with it. But that is, it's interesting. I actually like that approach that Drupal has some built in script slash style concatenation system built into it that you can either turn on or off because you, we all know it's kind of nice to have off mm-hmm. while you're developing because then you can kind of, I don't know, source, you don't need to use like fancy source maps or anything. It's just when you use the dev tools, you can see exactly which file code came from. And it's actually kind of nice because you're not super concerned about performance locally anyway uh, but then you go online you click the box and it squishes them all together good for performance everybody's happy it's kind of a neat thing really i uh, and inf- i will give credit to drupal for once in my life that <laughs> that wow it, harsh. uh that <laughs> it has this out of the box because wordpress you have to install a plugin that falls over every 25 minutes so yeah, there's like W3 Total Cache has a thing that will do it, but it does it at, at kind of a different layer. Mm-hmm. It like reads through your whole 
you know, I, I don't even know how it does it. I guess it kind of, I guess it just kind of regexes your whole document, finds them all, and then swishes them together. The advantage of that being that, like, if you use three plugins and each of those plugins has its own CSS file, it will squish those together too. There doesn't need to be a API that it hooks into to, to make it work. It just kind of works no matter what, which is cool. Anyway. Anyway. anyway, so that happened. Uh, we apologize. Drupal is the best. You win, man. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to start more drama. That's my job here on the Shop Talk Show. Uh, news and links. We got quite a big week. Speaking of editors, Adam Editor from GitHub came out. Uh, it's a oh, pretty yeah. handsome editor. I've been using it. Have you really? Yeah, it's it's kind mm. of like sublime but all node based rather than like java or whatever the, i have to say the ui i haven't even opened it yet mm. and just, just because i don't know i'm weird about productivity tools like that like a time and a place maybe a plane or something i don't like to like throw my week off a lot of times by just like doing stuff yeah like it's anyway. just about the same as uh sublime text so yeah is it are people saying that it looks i mean it looks super duper similar like visually ui wise yes. have you used it nick i haven't heard of it i have used adam uh i made sure to get an invite immediately because the yeah. the day that we first soft launched workspaces um was the day that adam came out and we were like Oh no! Like, you know what? It, what is this new threat? Basically, oh, like, yeah, we we um we got a little mm. bit scared. Now you know but, how it feels, Nick. Mm, yeah, I know. I, I apologize, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I I've been trying to use it a little bit here and there just to kind of get the vibe, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty cool. It's another text yeah. editor. What is it? Does it? My number one important editor feature is that it does find and project just lightning fast because i use that yes. a million times find a day and project is even better it's even better even oh. better mm. like mm. i I'm just a, i'm sold tell, ask me to find something in a project i will find a div okay <laughs> holy <laughs> crap luck. here we go all right <laughs> six so don't crash your computer 508 results in 88 files done like instant awesome. so uh, it is, it's pretty good because it's all like node based, you know? So just like, yeah. I'm sure just like workspaces. So it's just like. Node is a synonym for speed. It's actually speed in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> the more you know. In kids. German, it's Nodenspieden. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anyway, so that was good. And then Chris, we got uh, an announcement, huh? Yeah, kind of. Remember the last few weeks we've been saying if you send in a question and you hashtag the email RWD, you can win a free visit to the RWD Summit, that thing I told you at the top of the show, Environments for Humans online conference, all about responsive web design. There were seven of you that sent it in. Thanks for all for all of those. We'll get to them over soon. So I, I did a, you know, JavaScript dot math dot random or whatever between one and seven and got number three. And, I know it and, sounds fake, but I really did. I even took a screenshot of it in case anybody uh, and so doubts me. I don't, I don't have a drum roll sound effect, but this is the best hmm. I can do. Okay. In the, <laughs> in the winter. That's a shop talk drum. It is. <laughs> Clint Bush. Thank you, Clint. We will we'll email information about that. And in order to win, he had to send in a question. So maybe we should just do his question as the first one. Yeah, sure. Let me cue it up. Stall, stall, stall. Stall. Sure. Clint. Like, like you know, like I, I, you know, he's like two presidents combined, essentially. 
<laughs> this is great. Uh, this is not loading for me. One second. Deep, deep, deep. Sure. So the question, oh, I'll preface it by saying he was thinking about making a shift in life from being a person that pr- I, probably all three of us at least, and a lot of you listeners are acquainted with, and that's somebody who's good at kind of HTML, CSS, jQuery, WordPress, that kind of stuff, and is interested in maybe switching over to be kind of like a I am a JS hero. All right, here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Hi, Chris and Dave. My name is Clint, and I live in Seattle, and I work full-time as an HTML, CSS, uh, jQuery, WordPress developer. And I guess I've been doing that for about 10 years now. I started out as a designer and got into web uh, about 10 years ago and and have loved it since. Um, When I started, though, uh, the front-end world was definitely more just HTML, CSS, some JavaScript um, but definitely now it seems to be more this like front end, uh, back end hybrid, especially with the the move towards full stack JavaScript. So I'm thinking for next career move for me to do one of these eight week boot camps in full stack JavaScript um, to kind of put me on that next level. I've tried doing some of the courses, self taught courses online and stuff, but uh, definitely uh, have trouble with. With the with those, so I was thinking uh, a sit down classroom environment has always been better for me. Anyway, just wanted to get your thoughts on if that's a good career move for a CSS HTML person, uh, and just what your thoughts in general as far as the industry moving towards full stack JavaScript. I know you guys are both into it a lot. Um, anyways, love the show. Just got into it about six months ago, and I can't stop listening. So keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Clint, for sending in our favorite kind of question, and congrats on your win. Any thoughts, guys? So moving, you want uh, HTML, CSS, moving into the kind of full stack front ender. I guess what I found interesting, particularly about this, is he's already in web. He already has some skill doing web stuff, but is feeling, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Clint, but feeling like that's not good enough lately, or that I need to that I, I can't just morph into this. I need to like stop and school myself. Maybe he just future. wants to a booster pack. Like, yeah. I what do you think, Nick? I don't really understand. I mean, I guess I, I feel the same way that you do, Chris. I, I feel like, I guess he wants to boost his skills in other ways, but I don't see the issue with just being, like you said, an HTML, CSS, WordPress kind of design person like a front-end designer basically uh, it seems awful theoretical it. doesn't it like what is was there a moment clint at which you didn't qualify for a job that you wanted or a client came your way and you thought you would approach it with a full stack js kind of way and you couldn't do that and you wish you maybe could? he just sees the trend line heading that way like to full mvc sure and i get that but doesn't that feel theoretical it doesn't it feels a little like why up and change your life for something that you haven't had a bad experience with yet. Mm. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there was some kind of catalyst for that. Like you said, a job that uh, mm. maybe he didn't get or maybe a, a client that he couldn't build something for and had to pass it up. I mean, and, and that's certainly frustrating. But, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason to just suddenly change because a trend is going one direction or another. I actually had an interesting conversation about this with somebody at one of our treehouse meetups here in Orlando. He was uh, um, talking about a couple different languages. He's like, oh, you know, I've been doing PHP and I've been doing Ruby and now I want to like go running into this 
other thing? And like, am I changing languages too often? And I said, well, you know, you should just kind of do whatever you like and you're good at and you think people really need because, you know, before the iPhone, uh, there probably weren't a huge number of objective C developers. Uh, but now suddenly there are, and the people that were really experienced with that prior, um, were in a really good position all of a sudden. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were like predicting an iPhone was going to come out. Like they went to that, uh, particular path because they wanted to cash in on it or they felt like it was going to be a really good move. It just kind of happened. Um, and that happens all the time, you know, languages come and go and trends come and go. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, doing HTML, CSS and yeah. design and, you can and level up your person. JavaScript abilities without having to like, be like, forget all what I used to know. I am an Ember guy from here on out because that is the future. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's a little weird. Uh, you know, no offense to any full Ember people. I think it's probably awesome, and I know that it's awesome because I've seen great projects built on it. But I actually am not that way. I think you mentioned at some point, Clint, that that we're like big fans of it. I, I guess I am a fan, like, <laughs> and that I think it's interesting and cheer them on. But I find in my day to day work, I actually don't use most of them. I'm a little more old school, just like, let's make a route and then I'll use some Ajax to get some information from that route. You know, like a little more, a little more old school in my JavaScript scripting than, than totally. Kind of, yeah. Same here. Hmm. Yeah. I, so what I guess, let's say, does, how does he level up though? I mean, he could do Treehouse, he could do an eight week boot camp. Um, yeah, and I would say, Clint, if you have the money and the time for this and you're into the idea, we're not trying to discourage you from doing that either. If it's kind of a good time for you, to, there's not there's not a lot of eight-week chunks for the rest of your life where you can just do whatever you want. So I think if you... I mean, it's uh, certainly better than going to college for four years and doing doing that, you know? That's I, a huge chunk of your life. Well, yeah, there are benefits to college, but... I would Absolutely. I would agree. Like if you're just wanting to like learn one skill, like this is like a technical college or something, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, yeah, I would if you have the two months to like do an eight week boot camp and the money, and that's okay, and you can like live in your parents' basements for two weeks. Like that's great. <laughs> I mean, for two months. Do it. Cool. So we agree. There's no, you know, this is how we, we answer all questions. I'm sure you're aware with these kind of just rambling kind of hitting both sides of it kind of thing. But hopefully that's useful to you, Clint. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. We got one from Marcos Abad. We wrote in one specifically for Nick. I'm sure we'll have oh, something boy. to say about it. I work as a contracted webmaster full-time during the week. I DJ on most weekends and get home to a loving one-year-old meaning I have very limited time. I consider myself pretty versed in HTML, CSS, but with a desire to learn particularly JavaScript and its connection to CSS for dynamic website building. I feel that if I add this skill, it would change a lot of things for me professionally. So he's not that good at JavaScript, wishes he was. Um, how can a, a service like Treehouse help me put it all together and begin working as a front-end dev full-time and hopefully one day as a full stack developer. So apparently not much of a deb in the in the position that he quoted, which is a contracted webmaster uh, and wants to just get more into dev. Can Treehouse help with that? Absolutely. Uh, 
I, I really like the idea of calling this guy DJ Webmaster, so I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna do that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Treehouse is perfect for that kind of thing. So we have our our library. Can we put a point on it? Which which courses would he take? Do you, do you... Right. So we so we have we have our our library, right? And you can just kind of browse around stuff there. But we also have our tracks, and tracks are basically a collection of our different courses that will help you for a particular role, right? So if you want to build iPhone apps, if you want to become a front-end developer, if you want to become a web designer, um, if you want to become a Rails developer, we have tracks for each one of those things. And you go through the track and, you know, in three to six months after going through a track and maybe helping out in the forum and, you know, building a couple of practice projects, you can totally get a job uh, based on the skills that you learn there. And we do teach JavaScript. In fact, we have a pretty amazing JavaScript course coming very soon. I'm looking on our roadmap here to see when that's coming out. I think it's like this month, uh, yeah. actually. Um, yeah, it's uh, from Rachel Neighbors. So hey. she's going to be... Um, teaching JavaScript basics on Treehouse, and that should be a, a wonderful look uh, pretty deep into JavaScript and help people like DJ Webmaster get up to speed. Sure. I was looking yeah. at the track. It's probably the front-end web development track that's of most interest to you, DJ Webmaster slash Marcos, uh, <laughs> which, uh, which, you know, the bullet points being learn programming with JavaScript and jQuery, use JavaScript to modify static HTML and CSS, which is something you specifically mentioned, and adding interactivity to your website. And there's, looks like a track would take you a hot minute to get through, wouldn't it? It's not something you can do in a day, probably. There's lots of different little courses that are a part of it. Yep. So uh, I would say it takes mm, three to six months. I mean, it really depends how dedicated you are. If you just want to blast through a track and, you know, crunch through it every single day, you could certainly do that just like you would in an eight week boot camp. But that's the nice thing about Treehouse. You can learn at your own pace. And if you have a busy lifestyle and a one year old, um, it's perfect for that. Nice. Yeah. Cause you've got about two, two hours every night to kind of sit down and and do this instead of watching scrubs or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even, you know, even like 30 minutes, you can learn a lot. That's, that's one of the nice things is that we, we try to break down everything into really small digestible chunks. Um, we actually have a full-time data scientist and we've done a ton of analysis on, uh, video engagement and all sorts of stuff. And we basically figured out that eight minutes is like, the magic number right now. I know attention spans are shrinking smaller and smaller every day. I'm sorry, but, uh, what did you just say? I said <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was pretty good. You you, you got me there. Um, but yeah, um, uh, we found out that eight minutes is like the magic number for videos, and um, so we try to keep uh, most of our videos at eight minutes or less. And yeah, in like 15, 30 minutes, you can actually get a lot done. And just do that a little bit each night, and you'll definitely get there. See, yeah, that sounds great. I, and, mm -hmm. and, and if you're a contracted webmaster and then DJing on the weekends, um, like, so his weekends are like evenings are gone, right? But like, if you're 
on-site contracted? I mean, maybe pitch it as like a value add to the business. Like, hey, I'm going to learn more JavaScript, pay for my Treehouse subscription, like, or or wherever, you know. Like, it seems like a, like you could parlay this into being your work. Like you spend an hour a day at work doing learning business, yeah, whatever, absolutely. personal I, education development or whatever it's called. Yeah, a lot of companies have education budgets. I mean, and Treehouse is like 25 bucks a month. So it's pretty affordable for what it is, especially to a business. So yeah, definitely. You could do it on your lunch break. See, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep going. Next question, Josh. Well, I got, oh. let's do, I mean, just cause we're, we're halfway through here. Let me do Adobe quick. Cause thank oh. you Adobe for, 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 for sponsoring the shop talk show, what they were, you know, we were talking with them, like, what's the most interesting thing to promote? I mean, there's so Adobe is such a huge company that does all kinds of things we're all familiar with things like Photoshop and Illustrator tools that are awesome that I use every single day. Uh, but there, but, but lately I feel like everybody can see this. This isn't like a secret agenda of Adobe. They're focusing on web tools in a big way. They have a tremendous amount of talent there and doing tons of cool stuff for the web. Things that like, you know, what, what, what's some of the recent ones they've been working on CSS filters, you know, bringing some of that like blend mode stuff to the web uh, and things like regions where we've talked about that. It's not like a layout thing, but it's a way to get content shuffling around the page. And uh, they, they, they are behind that. They not only like have the idea and do it, but they work with the people who write the specs to make sure that the specs are up to date because doing this in a standards oriented way is kind of the way to get it to you know, actually be good in lots of different browsers. So they're approaching it in kind of the right way there. They actually have people that work on browser implementation mm-hmm. that work for Adobe that work at it. Not to mention the ideas themselves and just getting it through. I mean, imagine a company of their size and influence. They could just be like, here's a new thing. We, we forked a browser and our browser has all this fancy stuff in it that you can use. You know, that's not going to win. You know, nobody's going to switch over to the Adobe browser and start using that. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like they're, they're approaching it from a smart way by hitting it with standards, but, but also bringing all the intelligent people they have there to, to hit it from all the different angles. So one of the ways that they're like, consolidating this effort is through tool building. Cause I feel like that's Adobe's core business models, right? It's mm-hmm. building good creative tools for us to use. That's what they're known for. That's kind of the smart thing. So the, the tools for the web are all kind of under this, the banner of edge Adobe edge. So that's at html.adobe.com slash edge kind of as a landing page that has them all together at it. And there's things like edge animate, a visual tool for working with HTML elements and, and like timeline animation. And, and exporting standards compliant animation. So they have a tool for animation. They have um, a edge code, which is kind of like a, a thing that uses brackets. It's, but it's a, I think it's a desktop tool, right? It must be. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of like a desktop version of what Nick was explaining with Treehouse Workspaces. It's kind of like uh, their their code editor, kind of like a more bare bones, helpful for devs kind of thing, you know, kind of like a this isn't Dreamweaver kind of thing, I think. Edge Inspect is a... a uh, was kind of it was one of the first around that popularized the idea of like sending a URL to lots of different in, uh, devices and being able to inspect the code on them and having it kind of follow what you do in other places and stuff. Super cool tool. Edge Web Fonts, you know, Adobe bought TypeKit, so that's kind of part of this. And Edge Web Web Fonts is a way to use that in their editor, and uh, they have ways to use TypeKit fonts and desktop stuff. You know, they they see that the web is coming and they're building tools around it. So pretty cool. Check out all of Adobe does at html.adobe.com slash edge 
Let's do another question. Josh Flowers writes in, I've been learning Ruby for the past two months and have now started learning Rails version four. My problem, I'm using Treehouse and they use Rails three. Uh-oh, Nick. Getting called Uh-oh. out here. <laughs> what kind of issues should I expect? And is this a problem with learning through online video schools? Seems like they can't keep up with current iterations of frameworks. Uh, so this is a good, you know... This is a good thing. Like maybe your JavaScript course taught, you know, how to concat and minify and do all this stuff with Grunt, a Grunt workflow. And now Gulp comes out and, or you know, how do you guys keep up kind of with the change of, of pace and technology? Well, it's certainly a challenge. I mean, education is always going to be slightly behind uh, the trends, right? Um, so that's one reason that Treehouse exists, though, is because other educational institutions certainly can't keep up. I mean, I remember when I was in school, I was learning like, you know, tables and Dreamweaver and all sorts of ugly stuff um, and only doing a little bit of JavaScript. So, yeah, I mean, right now um, we do the best that we can. We do have uh, quite a lot of Rails content coming really soon. Uh, Jason Cipher is working on that, a world-class web de- web developer, Rails developer, and prankster. Um, <laughs> he is uh, he's our Rails teacher, and I'm actually collaborating with uh, Jason right now on a Rails course called Rails for Designers, um, which should be pretty interesting to a lot of people, uh, especially on Treehouse that might just be getting started. Um, we're going to talk about you know, how a designer can work with a Rails developer in Rails 4 and uh, get into the views and templating and all sorts of cool stuff like that, collaborating with Git, that sort of thing. So, yeah, the, it's it's always a, an ongoing challenge. I mean, we have the same issue with, uh, say, iOS, but um, we've been getting a lot better about that. We've found a lot of ways to make our video production faster and more efficient. Sometimes that's just kind of brute forcing the problem and hiring more people to just make it happen faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we have done quite a lot to um, make things speed up. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing issue, but uh, we try to get stuff out as quickly as we can. Sure. I like that you didn't even, I feel like the easy answer is always like, Hey, if you learn to build an app on rails three, you're learning so much about web development that like the fact that it's not V4 is like kind of irrelevant. You know, there's probably just like a few little things and you can read a blog post and change them over or whatever. Like, I mean, that's learning the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. The hard, the hard things about rails are like, like understanding, truly understanding what MVC means and then how, what that app folder, everything that's in there, what does, what does that all do? Then how do I connect to my database? And then I'm, why am I using SQLite? And then I'm using Postgres and, you know, it's, it's all this, like, that's the hard stuff about rails, like rails three and four, there may be like a new feature, but it's, that will break like your rails three learning. There's some API changes, but you're going to, if you can get a rails three environment, you're, you're going to learn all the hard stuff immediately. And then upgrading is just, you're learning the changes, the deltas between the two versions, right? 
That's absolutely true. I mean, it's amazing how often that question actually comes up or similar questions like it. A lot of people ask me, I say, well, I see that you have HTML and CSS on the site, but do you have HTML5 and CSS3? Um, (laughs) And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, yes, we we do. And that's, that's what they are. We just call them HTML and CSS. I feel like that's starting to go away a little bit, isn't it? I like oh, that you're kind of leading it, the charge a little bit. That I think it's stop. I think it's gone. I'm I'm trying to make it gone anyway. Yeah. yeah. The new thing is calling your JavaScript ECMAScript six. You're like, oh, I'm ES six with Harmony. You're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do uh, uh, the the responsive web design summit. That's rwdsummit.com. Congratulations, Clint, for winning that thing. But the, all the rest of you can win a ticket too by buying a ticket. <laughs> With money. <laughs> yeah, you just pay money, and then you also get to go to their responsive web design site. And I assume some of you aren't even spending your own money that you work at a business that can send you if you are interested in the world of responsive web design. And it's tempting to say, oh, oh, I get responsive web design. It's media queries and, you know, fluid media and stuff, fluid grids. Uh, I'm sure that th- that type of stuff will be covered a little bit, but I feel like the conversations around responsive web design are um, – you know, are different and growing. It's more about like, not like, should we do this anymore? It's kind of like, how can we do it? What are the important considerations while doing it? That kind of thing. So it's three days and it's online, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. The first day is performance oriented talks, which is a huge part of RWD. Sometimes you might even hear people say something like, RWD is cool, but it makes websites slow because you have to like, you know, know, all the code for all the different versions of the site are all in one. So it makes websites heavier. Well, you know, if you suck at it, no, I didn't mean to do it like that. Wow. No, I mean, if just, you know what I mean though. If you, uh, if you do it wrong, it's wrong, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing. So performance is a part of it. How about we talk about it all day long on April 1st with talks by Tammy Everts, Tim Cadlake, people that have been talking about performance for a while. Day two, t- technical stuff, how RWD goes down, talks by people like Dave Rupert hey, and J- Jen Lucas. Uh, third day is strategy. Matt Griffin, Dan Maul, lots of good stuff. Um, it's going to be fantastic. You should all go and you can attend it from anywhere in the world because it's online, which means there's really, there's more talking and stuff. It's quite a nice system. So check that out. Let's do another question. Yeah. We got a, uh, another audio question here from Billy Brown calls in. Hi, shop talk show. I've been learning front end for a couple of years now, mainly off CSS tricks. Thanks, Chris. And uh, I've, along the way, I've been creating and maintaining a few projects and websites, but all of these have been free, so doing them for friends and family, because I, I haven't been 18 yet. So this summer, I'm turning 18, and I need a job to help fund university. And I was wondering, uh, so I was, I'll be looking for front-end jobs, of course, and I was wondering what the best way to set up a client with their hosting and front and uh, domain name is. All those, these times before, I've done it where either done it for myself or they've already had it set up and I've just gone in and uh, redesigned their website or fixed certain part things. Thank you. Love the show. So Billy's going to freelance his way through college or university, it sounds like. So how, how does he get um, clients set up with hosting and domains? Nick, do you have any advice? 
Well, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the situation, like you described. I mean, if the client already has hosting and a domain, then you're just doing different work for them, basically. That's pretty common these days, right? Yeah. I mean, how many how many businesses have a website or need a website that don't have one already? Some probably, but probably not very many. Right. So, I mean, that's probably going to be a, a pretty common situation. But, um, I mean, it depends what kind of business you want to run too. I mean, if the client just wants to have nothing to do with that, like they're, you know, really small business and they kind of just want to pay you money and have you take care of it all for them, uh, then you can certainly, you know, just have hosting yourself and host all of your client projects on, you know, a server somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, if they already have hosting, then just use that. I mean, I guess that, that kind of answers question right yeah Yeah, it does i would say if the uh, already i have hosting fine if it's fine i would not rock the boat on purpose because i just feel like that's boring i don't know like is that the world you want to be in do you want to be a a a hosting deal with her or or do you want to be a web designer you know (laughs) not that you have to pick but it's like that's the least fun part of all this business i think really Uh, is I I would say if you can get them to buy those things, like you recommend, like, hey, get your domain, sign up for GoDaddy or whatever, and then sign up for Media Temple um, and get this grid server here, you know, like maybe like make little workflows in an email. That's probably your best bet. Um, It's really tempting to be like, I'm going to. Like what I'm going to host these guys and then I'm going to get recurring income. And it's going to be awesome. And and that is a val like valid business strategy. But then email goes down on Saturday night when you're studying for a test on Monday, like that it's a problem. Right. You know, it's on you. It's fine until email goes down. And I would even get them set up on Google, like whatever Google apps or whatever. Um, that that's yeah it, it's all fine until it goes awry yeah. and it never it's gonna go awry at the worst time so that's murphy's law i like dave's advice you if at all possible you shouldn't buy their domain name the client should own it and it's more than just convenience it's like a legal thing you don't want to have your name attached to the ownership of something that's that important to their business yeah, I absolutely agree. It's weird to own their domain name. They should own yeah. it for sure. And and like coach them too. Like say like, hey, you have to pay for this every year. Like yeah. they're gonna send you an email. It's really <laughs> important. Email forward it to me if you don't get it, and I'll explain it to you. Um, but right. like like that because we've had clients who are like, uh, my website's down, and you're like, well. You forgot to renew. <laughs> like, so hopefully we can get your domain back. And that's like a hopefully, you know? So then if they don't renew their domain, like, or, or you forgot to, this, that's the worst case scenario. You forgot to renew the domain. You forget to renew the domain and like all their business cards and all the signs they printed with their URL is now void and null and they can't get the domain back. That's, that does not work good for you, Billy. What a nightmare. Yep. Yeah. I want to do this one by Tim Whitaker because I think it's kind of interesting technical bit. Tim writes into your shop talk. I would love for you guys to talk a little bit about content editable. I work on a project, uh, Barley, getbarley.com, and there's been a, 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 we have learned 
a lot about content editable over the past year and it has been a painful process. There's not many resources out there, so it has been mostly trial and error. I'd love to hear your take on it. I guess, yeah, I guess we're putting ourselves on the spot about it a little bit, but just as a little background, I believe Tim is talking about the, the HTML attribute content mm-hmm. editable, which I think came in HTML5, even though we don't call it that anymore, obviously. So if you were to, 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 to see what it does, you could just like use DevTools and inspect and go find a paragraph tag somewhere or something and edit that edit that paragraph tag and just put space and then content editable all lowercase and just one word there and you can kind of see what happens if it has that attribute on it it's kind of like it turns into a text area in a way you can literally from the front end of a website just edit it i think you have to set it to true as oh, well con- true content editable true okay yeah i think what is it and why is it well, I, I mean, it depends on, well, it depends, right? Like if you want a, a, an area of your site to be editable, like a text area or something, um, then that would be the perfect situation to use it. It's kind of pretty specific or, or situa- situationally specific, I guess you could say, because, uh, you know, there there's only so many instances where you'd want to use that, and it's kind of hard to think of a specific use case. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. Is it, it so it had this like potential, or like to be anything could become a form, like an HTML five form. So you you just say this is content editable. So you touch the title, and you can do that with Web Inspector. You can like hack and go to DaveRupert.com. Uh, this is always be closing and then like select a title <laughs> and then like just type content edit double in there. And now you can like click into my title and start like, you know, like you can start changing it. You could even like, you could change like whatever the text and take a screenshot and be like, why did you write about butts, Dave, you know, and troll me on Twitter. That's really fun. Uh, but And so in theory, you could have like once you finished editing, it would post an Ajax thing to the server and save the title as a new title. So you can have these kind of like hyper editable apps. Um, But what is that? It obviously doesn't save that back to the server. So the next person sees it or anything. Right. Yeah. You you would have to. But. Right, so you would have to get a little. F- I mean, I th- I think this is the only use case for it. I can't even think of another one. Is that kind of you would make some kind of front end based CMS in which that it knows based on IDs or classes or whatever on that element w- what it is, what it, how it relates to the data structure on the back end, and if you change it, and then you you know maybe you blur out of it, or there's you add some buttons that are like save or something, and you click it, it kind of knows what the new content is and saves it back to the database. Other than making Dave's website looks like he eats farts or whatever, and some kind of front end CMS, I don't see any other use case for it yeah i mean i think if you already maybe have like something that you've already built like a profile page or something and you don't want to create a separate edit view for it like maybe you're building a rails app and you don't want to make all the different views for it you could just have the show view and maybe there's like just one thing that you want to edit on it you don't want to like change all the markup so that you have a big crazy form in there so you could just throw content editable on it save it back to the 
the database with an Ajax call and done, you know, I, I, I can see some specific use cases for it maybe, but, um, yeah, I kind of agree. It, it, it really feels like, I guess it's just added flexibility, right? Like if yeah. you want to keep something, uh, in a structured a specific way in the HTML and you don't really want to touch that and add in a form or a whole nother view for it. It's kind of a quick way to hack that on top. Right. Cause that otherwise what you'd have to do is take something that would be a paragraph from an H one or something like that. And you can't, you'd have to hide it temporarily and then put an input right over the top of it. And you can imagine the layout struggle there. Cause you kind of don't want the page jumping around. That's a little obnoxious. Ideally that input is like positioned exactly such that and styled such that it looks just like the title that you're editing and then edit that and save it back. So it's kind of avoids all that CSS struggle, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I just literally convinced myself into this by talking it out with you guys. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't given it much thought until now, but yeah, it, it seems like a good sense. CMS. But but Tim says uh, I work on a project and we have learned a lot about it, and it has been a painful process. So it sounds like maybe there's some cross. I mean, clearly it's it's cutting edge ish, right? But it, it, if I feel mm-hmm. like it's been around kind of a while, I bet there's pretty decent support for it. But I wonder what the trouble is, like with the content that you get back out of it. Maybe that's. I mean, it it probably is like whatever the DOM sees as content. So like if there's any discrepancies from what the content used to be to what the DOM sees, like, I don't know. Yeah, don't, that, you know, that's actually a really interesting question. I'm wondering what... Uh, yeah, what the are the DOM struggles, Tim? Yeah. Well, it looks like Get Barley has some tools, you know, kind of like, like a you know, context tools, like you highlight something and then a little tooltip comes up, like, do you want to make that a link or uh, mm. stuff like that? Um, yeah. So that's I mean, a good use case, right? Because mm-hmm. I always thought how, how how difficult that would be. Like, you know, text area, you can't really tell where a piece of text in that text area is, but with content editable, there's a bunch of spans and stuff already in there that you still can't see because it retains its like kind of rendered look when mm-hmm. it has content editable. It's like a rich text editor. But that if there's a span in there, there would still be a span in there, and then you could like absolutely position stuff off of that span. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty. There's clever. actually so I just looked it up. There's actually pretty great browser support for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it goes really far back too. I wonder, I, I, I'm kind of wondering how it is on mobile. I mean, it looks pretty good, but I, I'm wondering like what that actually looks like on the phone. But um, I'm starting to wonder why we're not seeing this more, actually. Well, it but, looks like that's what Git, Git Barley is, by the way. I didn't really realize yeah, that. I think you might as well go there. It used to be a CMS like itself. If I, I could be totally wrong, but now it looks like it's just like an extension for WordPress and Drupal and stuff. So, like, your oh. clients, as long as they're logged in or whatever, you could be like, just click on that to edit it. And that might make, again, back to that iPad generation that doesn't understand, you know, like, wait, I have to log in, you know, to my. Yeah. I always thought that the text. future of CMSs would be like just the front end, but then I feel like I got away from that. I was like, anytime I ever see that, not nothing against this or if, if people like that idea or whatever, I'm sure there's good use cases for it. But the more I'm used, the more I tinkered around with it, the more I kind of preferred having some kind of admin area specifically like a mental shift. I don't know. I could just be old school. You know, I'm sure that is what it is. You know, I'm sure. If you, if you well, I know. Really I mean, like we have clients who just simply don't remember to <laughs> log in or, or they don't yeah. remember their login or they don't remember the URL where the login is. And so they're like, they'll just email us or whoever and just be like, 
can you update this, you know, like, and, and we like log in and for them into WordPress and update things, you know, so that, that could maybe like be a value add to your clients, you know? So Mm. last words, folks, uh, I got nothing. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me. If people aren't following you on Twitter and all that already, how do they do that? And then what's the big thing that you want to plug? What's your, what's your grand finale here? My grand finale? Oh, wow. You you really built it up. I know we um, didn't get to your pod, the game development stuff. Sorry about oh, yeah. that. We could talk about it for a sec if you feel like it. Um, Do, do we have a little more time? Do sure. you want to talk got, about it for I a second? I got unlimited bandwidth. <laughs> That is wonderful. The internet is so wonderful. All right. If you um, need a drum roll, I also have a drum roll. Here we go. Go ahead. <laughs> that was more of a rim shot, but I'll take it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have been getting into game development kind of in a, a hobbyist sort of way uh, just because, you know, back in 2007, right, I was making – web apps for the iPhone. Like the iPhone came out and I was like, oh man, this is, this is so cool. I'm going to build these little web apps for it. And then the app store dropped in 08. Right. And I thought, eh, no, the web is the future. Like I'm not going to build native apps. That's just silly. Well, I feel like that ended up being kind of a grave miscalculation on my part. I think, um, Native apps are actually pretty cool. I mean, the web is amazing. Like, the web has gotten really good on mobile. But um, there's a lot of things in native apps that you just can't do in mobile apps. And at this point, I feel like that ship has sailed. I feel like the App Store is just way too saturated. And unless you, you know, you could have the most amazing game in the App Store and it could just get buried because there's such a saturated market at this point. So I saw. Um, this whole VR thing coming along, right? With like the Oculus Rift and a couple of other VR headsets that are coming out. Virtual reality. That is right, virtual reality. Um, And I saw that uh, Valve is working on one. Uh, There's rumors about one for the PlayStation 4. Uh, So this whole virtual reality revolution is um, starting to happen, at least for developers. And I don't think people realize that like, it's going to be a thing really soon. Kind of like how we were promised touchscreens for like 20 years and they all kind of sucked until pretty recently. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there were just touchscreens everywhere. I think virtual reality is going to be a lot like that. I think, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time. It hasn't been very good at all, but it's finally, finally actually really good. Um, and it's going to get much, much better. So the thing about VR is that it's insanely immersive. It's uh, It wraps your whole peripheral vision. It's in stereoscopic 3D. And when you put on that VR headset, it's real. I mean, you're really, really in a place. It's not like looking at a computer screen. It's kind of like playing Doom for the first time. You know, you're just like, whoa, this is way <laughs> different than anything I've ever seen. Um, so I saw this happening. And I was like, you know what? I, I love playing games. I love programming. Um, I should have a go at this. I, I, I don't want to let this kind of go by. I feel like the way I let mobile go by. Um, and so I decided to start making games in, um, in Unity, which is a pretty cool um, 
I don't want to call it an app because it's so much more than that. But basically, it's this uh, it's this program where you can build games, and a lot of cross-platform games are built in Unity these days. It's like a uh, it has a 3D editor in it, so you can kind of place all of your game objects um, in a scene, and then you can program in it as well in a couple of different languages. And they just added support for uh, VR headsets, and I've been programming in that for a little while, and I'm actually making a game of my own right now, hoping, hoping to release that cool. like late this year, maybe early next year. Um, haven't really talked a whole lot about it, but um, it's just amazing to me because um, five years ago, this totally wasn't possible at all. I mean, you you couldn't just release a video game as one person because it was way too big for you to program on your own is or it was way too expensive because game licensing game engines is like millions of dollars typically um and then you had to be a big studio to get your game onto like you know the xbox and playstation and steam and other platforms like that but it's really opened up recently um a lot of game engines are now open for um individuals to use and they're really really affordable um, or free in a lot of instances, you can, the distribution is there because you can, uh, distribute your games on to steam. In fact, they're moving to, uh, just a self publishing model. So it, it'll actually be very much like the app store. You can just publish your games on there. And that's pretty interesting. That's isn't it? it? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I mean the, the game engines are there, the distribution is there and it's totally feasible now all of a sudden for one person to make a game. Um, and that just wasn't true uh, until very recently. In fact, it was true at one point, like way back in the day, um, when there were just really simple games and you just made really simple art assets and kind of retro games. But games just got so expensive and complicated. Um, but uh, it's kind of all come full circle. It's it's, it's really a, a exciting space. And so trying to, to have a go at it and be a part of it. There's not a whole lot of VR content now, but I'm hoping to make make some more. You you may have just convinced me to buy a development unit. <laughs> it's you know it's only three hundred bucks, and uh, I just yeah I just got one. Uh, so I just got mine yesterday, uh, and I've been programming a game for a while, kind of in the dark, basically, kind of trying to imagine what it'd be like. And oh my gosh, it was so different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, I think one problem with the rift is that games actually have the t potential to be terrifying. I mean, true horror, like you've never seen. I, I, I started to play <laughs> almost unintentionally scary. Like you're going to have to try to make some games not scary. scary. Let, yeah. And just let, well, let people know like, Hey, like there's some fun music here. Like everything's okay. Nothing's going to jump out at you. Like it's not that kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of, you Should know, be just like this game features jumping, uh, shock. Uh, I never thought of that, but I wonder if that will go away over time as, you know, whatever is there's people have played a lot of games and there's very few of them like that or something. Have you, yeah. it, isn't that game what it, it's called? Like the, uh, uh, the tall man or the slim man, slender man, slender man. Is that on rift? 
Um, you know, I don't think it is. It, it might be. There might be a mod out for it, but oh, um, there's already a couple of horror games available um, in like the Rift uh, developer area. And I, I tried one out for like a minute and I was walking around in like this dark field. I didn't even see anything. I was just like, nope, my heart's already racing. <laughs> like I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. I can't do this. And it wow. sounds so silly, right? But when you're, when it's just wrapped around your whole peripheral vision in stereoscopic 3d it's real like you're really there and um there's this whole thing called vestibular mismatch which is basically where your your eyes are reporting something different than your body so this happens when you get car sick right you're you're in a car you're looking down at the floor and your eyes are reporting something that's stationary but your body feels like it's moving this is the opposite of that so you're sitting in a chair and your body isn't moving, but your eyes are saying that you are. So apparently that's enough that when you like ride a roller coaster on the rift, your stomach actually drops. I mean, I, I, I tried it out and like, wow. I actually felt like just like how I feel on a roller coaster. Um, so it was pretty crazy that that was enough to produce that physiological sensation. Um, so you can imagine how scary horror games are. I mean, it, it's like, it's like being there, you know, it's, it's really scary, but yeah, I've been getting pretty into that. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about the future of it. I mean, right now, uh, the dev hardware is kind of primitive. It, it's actually, so it's at 1280 by 800, uh, mm. for the, the dev hardware right now, they've promised 1920 by 1080 or greater, um, for the final hardware. And that doesn't actually sound that low res, but when it's uh, stretched to a inch from your face, <laughs> right? When it's an inch from your face and stretched to 110 degrees uh, field of view, it's super stretched out. Like it kind of feels like playing Doom or something. Like it's kind of oh, low res. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a little pixely, but uh, that kind of goes away after a little bit, and you're just like, whoa, this is super real. You start to accept it as your reality. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, it's happening and I think it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise, like next year ish where, mm. uh, you know, people are, you're just going to suddenly see VR everywhere, I think. So trying to be a part of that. Super excited about it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. I, I have no, literally nothing about it. It's the first time I've ever heard of even such a thing. I mostly am like VR. Really? I thought that was like an eighties thing that never existed. No, it was, and but now it's real. It's like touchscreens, like I said. Yeah. Like we were promised touchscreens for so long, and now they're just they're awesome. Is it and still? They're the, everywhere. I mean, you you have to wear a dorky headset, right? But people are all be increasingly okay oh, yeah. with doing that. So if you're not familiar with it, you should go on YouTube and just type in like Oculus Rift reaction videos or something like that, and you'll see people like playing horror games and like you know, an 80 year old grandma going on a roller coaster and stuff like that. And it's amazing. Some of the reactions that it elicits from people. So if you're not familiar, you should go check that out. I mean, that's kind of what convinced me. I was like, wow, this is a, a very immersive and emotional experience. It's unlike a movie or a book in that it really can transport you to places. Sweet. Pretty cool. Neat. Yeah. So that, awesome. that was my grand finale. That was huge. That was wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. And then how it pe can people follow you on Twitter when, when your game launches? 
They can. I am on the Twitters. I am at Nick RP. So Nick and then the letter R and the letter P. And uh, like I said before, that stands for Richard Pettit or mm-hmm. Nick Nick Dick Petit, <laughs> as, uh, as Chris put it. <laughs> uh, and uh, be sure to sign up for Treehouse. Uh, uh, this is a free advertisement, but uh, it's one of the best onboarding experiences in the whole world. So uh, be sure to check that out. And, uh, yeah, be sure to follow us at Shop Talk Show on Twitter. Vote us up in iTunes 20 stars if you can, but uh, just five five is enough. Uh, and, <laughs> and be sure to, uh, I don't know, buy something from the store. We need to build that out, Chris. To-do item. Oh, All right. No. Here we go. And, Chris, you got anything else for us? Yeah, but it's shoptalkshow.com.